Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Go ahead and take your Bibles, and I'm going to have you start by opening up to actually the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and is there anyone who needs a Bible? We've got a few on hand. Anyone need one? Okay. Make sure you've got a copy of God's Word, and it doesn't matter to me if it's on your phone or on a tablet, or if you want to roll your desktop in and plug it in and power it up. As long as you've got a copy of God's Word you're looking at, we're good, okay? Um, and we're, we're following up this week on the message that was shared last week. And last week we talked specifically about uh, belonging to a local church family. And biblically, why is that important? But an element of that that we didn't dive into a whole bunch because, honestly, there was already so much there... Uh, that we didn't have time to dive into, but is really crucial to this, is an understanding of biblical church leadership. And we're going to reference this passage a little later on, but in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, we saw even a biblical command to submit to your leaders, to those who are responsible for, essentially, who have care over your souls and who are going to give an account someday. And that's a really overwhelming concept to think about, and yet is a really, really important aspect of us seeking to understand, all right, if the Bible calls me to submit to godly leaders when we're thinking about the local church, then what should that look like? And the reason I bring this up is because, even as we read in Galatians 1, during our prayer time, there should be an acknowledgement that unhealthy and unbiblical leadership can and does exist in the church. And some of you may have experienced that personally. You may have experienced directly spiritual abuse in the church. And if that's you, I just personally want to pause for a moment and just mourn with you. Because that which should be encouraging and bringing life to you through Christ should never be the thing that's responsible for tearing you away. And that burdens me. And it's one of the reasons why I really believe God called me into church ministry. is because I just have a heart for the church and to see it done the way God intended it to be done. But as we consider this, I really want us to hone in and look just at Scripture and what it says about what should be characteristic of not just a leader, but a godly, Bible-centered leader when it comes to the church. And so my main idea, this is, if you get nothing else out of this, I want you to, to hone in on this. And it's that a biblical leader is qualified by God 
accountable to God and called for God's purposes. A biblical leader is qualified by God, accountable to God, and called for God's purposes. And before we dive even further into this, I just want to pause and I want to pray because at the heart of so many issues within the church as a whole, and we talked about this last week, there's a universal church, there's local church, either way you swing it, at the heart of so many struggles comes back to either failed church leadership in the past or current leadership who doesn't understand their calling and their role in the present. And so let's pray that God would give us an understanding as the church as to what this should look like and that he would give us the boldness to lean into that well and be a place where we pursue this together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, help us to understand the depth of your grace, even in a subject matter as as seemingly broad as this. Father, we recognize how easy it is for us as the church to fall into worldly patterns and that includes our expectations of what a leader should be or should look like. And so, Lord, give us eyes and ears uh, able to receive the message of your word and your truth that it would impact our thinking and ultimately that it would make us into a people who are pursuing the righteousness that can only come from you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing, what I'm going to do today, and largely, like this is your main point. There's not going to be a lot of other points today. Because at the core of what we need to understand is throughout Scripture, this emphasized. And ultimately, I'm going to draw out some distinctions here between what we identify in worldly leadership and what we should expect or identify within godly leadership within the church. And one of the first items that we see in the midst of Scripture that we might ask is what qualifies someone to be a leader, to be someone specifically as a a leader and, and what we would identify as an elder Or an overseer, or a shepherd, or a pastor in the church. Now I mention all four of those terminologies, because one of the things I want you to understand is in scripture, those four terms are interchangeable. That is, the expectation in scripture is that the elders, the overseers, The pastors, the shepherds, they're all the same in their purpose, in their calling, in their mission. But what qualifies that? When we consider that, what has God stated in His Word that is a qualification for this? And so the first place I take you to is 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And this is largely what today is going to look like, is I'm just going to walk through past passages of Scripture, and we're going to seek to see what Scripture says about this. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task or a good task. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, I want you to understand that in broad context, we can become really distracted by all of these individually. And yet I want you to consider the picture it paints as a whole. And we could spend a lot of time sitting here and arguing about, well, what does it look like to really see that a, a leader in the church, a, an, an overseer, is someone who keeps his children submissive? We could argue about that for a while. What, it, what does it really look like for this person to not be quarrelsome? Because even today, I think we could admit that people's definition of what would become quarrelsome could be different depending on what context you're in. And what I want you to see here is this model, and there's really one word that sticks out every time I read 1 Timothy 3, and it's faithfulness. You, you see throughout this someone who's faithful in their home, they're faithful with their finances, they're faithful with their children, they're faithful with their spouse, they're faithful even within the community as broad spectrum of people see this person. And even that they would not be a recent convert. Why is that? So that they can be shown to be faithful even within their faith. And so there's a long list there. But as you look at the whole, you consider the depth of, man, we want people who are just faithful in each area of their life. And yes, they're sinners. So they're going to screw up. But within the church, man, I want some faithful people who are striving to be more like Jesus and lead in every area of their life with that same faithfulness. Now, there's another text here. If you flip forward a little bit to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And this re-emphasizes largely the same things, which makes sense because it's Paul writing now to Titus instead of Timothy here. And specifically in verses 7 through 11, I'm just going to touch on this because it re-emphasizes even again what we just saw in 1 Timothy 3. It says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Man, I long and pray for the continued development of just faithful followers of Jesus who say, I want to lead with everything I am in faithfulness. 
Not for selfish gain, not for selfish reasons or motives, but because of everything that God in Christ has done for me. And it's God who qualifies in that sense. It's God who makes apparent in His Word what that looks like. And that's not always the, the, the most easily visible individuals and it becomes challenging sometimes as you walk through messy situations of life and yet to understand that it's God who qualifies. If we want to seek to be a church that glorifies God and God alone, then we should desire leadership that seeks to do the same. Because as is commonly referred to, as the leadership goes, so goes whoever they're leading. Now, an observation here, there is a difference between a secular leader and a leader qualified by God. Just because someone leads in the secular world does not equate to being a gifted shepherd. And this applies the other way too. There may be someone who's a gifted shepherd that by the world's standards would not equate to some successful leader in the secular world. Now, those may be rare entities as someone who leads well in an outside context can very easily shift to that and become someone who's a faithful follower of Christ if they commit their life to Him. But we have to see and seek to see a distinction that just because someone leads somewhere else does not mean that by God's standards they are qualified to lead according to God's terms. And that's really important for us to recognize. Now, another task here, and now I want you to flip even forward just a little bit more to Hebrews chapter 13, and we quoted this at the beginning, but to shift our thinking even to the responsibilities of those God-qualified leaders, and what should that look like realistically. And this is really important for us as the church to understand, because oftentimes, as we even talked about uh, last week, is we morph into a focus that is a lot more centered on my personal opinion than on biblical obedience. And my goodness, if I dive too far into my personal opinion, then that translates into what I even expect of godly leaders. And I don't know about you, but I desire, I long for the leaders of our church to be Individuals who are committed to following Christ. Not following after my personal opinion or agendas. Just as Galatians 1 talked about, Galatians 1.10, Am I now a servant of man or servant of Christ? If I'm a servant of man, I can no longer be a servant of Christ. And in Hebrews 13.17 it first speaks a commandment to the rest of the people and saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. But here's why. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. <laughs> now this command... I would be completely okay if this command were nowhere in Scripture. <laughs> because it says a lot about what my responsibility as a shepherd and a leader is. 
Do, do, do you see these words? To keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, I'm going to be honest. I would be completely content some days just kind of getting up, teaching, doing my thing, and going back and studying in my office and prepping for the next week. God, do I really have to be responsible for, for giving an account for everyone that I am seeking to shepherd? It's a weighty task. And yet the command further than that is that they would do it with what? Joy. Everyone say joy. And not groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. The responsibility of a leader is to keep watch over the souls of the people they've been called to shepherd. And this is one of the reasons why I feel strongly that it's healthy for us to have a core member group of people, a belonging, a local church body, because otherwise, my goodness, where does it end? But then beyond that to consider, you don't see... A statement like this within secular leadership in the same way. Yeah, you, you need to make sure you lead your staff well and challenge your people under your care and further the mission of the organization. But, oh, by the way, make sure you keep watch over their souls, too. You're going to give account to God for that someday. This is a distinct responsibility within the church. And that is to root back into the confessions of faith and to determine, are you aware that there is one way, there's one way into eternity, it's through Christ. Are you aware that there is one gospel, there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord. And are you seeking to live in a way that ultimately glorifies Him and not yourself? It's a big task. To illustrate this, I want you to consider for a moment that if uh, I entrusted one of you to take care of my children while I was away, I hold you accountable for whatever happens in that time. And so if I come home and there's stuff strewn out all over the house and there's marker on the wall and there's frosting all over my counter... And the kids are running through the house completely covered in who knows what. I'm not going to hold them accountable to that. I'm going to hold the one that I left in their, their care to shepherd them well. That, that's, that's just a picture. The picture that's painted in my head when I read, when I read a passage like this, okay? The responsibilities of a God-given leader are to shepherd the people well. Now, another passage that emphasizes this is in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. So forward even a little more. Verses 1 through 5. And here Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder... So this is an elder speaking to elders. A witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he qualifies himself here. Not only is he a, a shepherd, an elder, a fellow person speaking into this, but he was also a witness, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. 
Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Understand that for a moment. It doesn't just say shepherd the flock of God, but more specifically those who are among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Everyone say willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Everyone say eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Everyone say examples. To the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Not domineering. Setting examples. And there's one of those passages where as the leadership goes, so the people follow. And that is a daunting task. And I'm going to tell you it's daunting because, my goodness, I have so many faults and weaknesses. And that's where it's God who qualifies. It's God who we're accountable to. And ultimately, we believe it's God who empowers, right? For His purposes and for His will. And yet there's a focus here as far as, as part of faithfulness to be humble, to pursue this with humility. To recognize that we can't just do it on our own. Another example of this focus on uh, shepherding the flock that's under your care is in Acts 20, verse 28. And really goes through 30. Be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. If you've ever wondered why there's a need for shepherds in the church, it's because there also exists wolves in the church. And we believe that based on what Scripture says. And one of the most threatening things for the bride of Christ is those who disguise themselves within the church and cause disruption and decay from within. And it's the responsibility of the leaders to watch for that. To be very watchful, to keep an open eye, and then to call people into accountability. And when there's not accountability, that's where there needs to be specific discipline and follow through. Not because somehow our job is to demean people, but quite the opposite. It's to protect the bride. We see... Multiple examples of this taking place in Scripture. In Matthew 18, it focuses specifically on church discipline and the process that should take place if a brother has wronged another brother. In 1 Corinthians 6, it speaks specifically about challenging the church at Corinth and saying, why are you taking your personal disputes before the public courts? Why, wouldn't you, why would you take this before those who are not a part of the body of Christ? Why wouldn't you instead settle them amongst each other and take it to the church? And the challenge here is what testimony, what witness, 
What distinction is there here between the church and the secular world if we just can't even resolve our own struggles and conflicts with each other? And let me tell you, there are so many people who've walked away from the church because of internal conflict. Why? Why is it that that becomes such an issue for us when we, of all people, are the ones who have the greatest hope and should be the most unified when we understand that we're all broken people in need of the gospel? Nothing burdens me more as a shepherd than to see the sheep fighting with each other, unwilling to resolve issues. Man. And yet we do. And there's a need there for godly leaders who are going to call that out and not just let that fester within the walls of the church. In James 5, there's a specific command that if someone is sick, they can call the elders to come and pray over them. And there's specific commands there and a specific role that the leaders are to fulfill, even in that sense. So we see this... Heavy responsibility. It's God qualified. It's God accountable. It's God equipped. But lastly, I want us to direct our attention ultimately to the model leader that we're to strive for. And ultimately the example that we're to see for biblical leadership. And that is Jesus himself. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read this to you, and I quote it often. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our example of shepherd leadership comes from Jesus himself. And how incredible is it that the very same individual that the church is called to become more like is the same example that's set for the very people who are supposed to lead. As the leaders go, so go the people. Now the last passage I want to take you to is Psalm 23. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 23. And I'm just curious, how many of you at some point in your life have heard this psalm read or quoted? Raise your hand. Okay? This is a very common psalm. But I don't think we often pay much attention to this psalm. Because there's a lot here that's really uncomfortable. And I almost laugh every time I read it because I go, man, we do not get this. We don't get it. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is one of those verses. Verse 2 is one of those verses we don't think about. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. We like the green pastures there, but you forget the sentence right before it. He makes you lie down. That means you don't want to do it. I don't know if you've ever tried to get a sheep to lay down that didn't want to lay down. It's not easy. And they're not happy about it either, and neither are you by the time you get it to lay down. I don't like sheep. I'm just going to be honest. Real life sheep, I love you. Okay? Verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for whose name's sake? His. Everyone say His. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because I have it all under control, but because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before my enemies, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One final observation as we think about this. A distinction between a worldly leader and a shepherd. A worldly leader's success is measured by worldly standards. Money, profit, organizational growth, worldly impact. A shepherd's success is measured by the eternal value of the gospel they proclaim. And my goodness, I'm going to tell you that every leader is proclaiming some kind of gospel, whether they realize it or not. And it's either the true gospel or it's one that tries to mask itself as that. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come and I want to give you three application points as we think about this, okay? Three specific applications for this. First off, if God is calling you to lead or to shepherd, pursue that. Many people are fearful of that. And many people consider themselves not leaders because by worldly standards they're not. But who qualifies the leader in God's house? God does. Everyone say God does. And He makes it clear, okay? If you feel a pulling on your heart in that direction, you need to pursue that. And if you're not sure what to do to pursue that, you come talk to me. Because I'm passionate about seeing people pursue that well. Secondly, if God has already called you to lead or shepherd, that is, you're doing it and you're seeking to do it now, move forward with humility and with faithfulness. With humility and with faithfulness. And lastly, if God has placed you in a church body of godly leaders, church, I want to challenge you to submit to their leadership wherever you are. And that's fully recognizing that there are places where leadership is not godly and it's unhealthy. And in those situations, I would tell you to get out of those situations. 
But if you have a place where you have leaders who are striving to do this biblically and to do it right and are preaching and proclaiming the true gospel, root into that. Commit to being in covenant with that group of people and let's make an impact on the community that's around us. Now, as we consider these truths... Uh, I want to encourage you just to remain seated. And this is going to be a new song. And we're going to reflect on the words of this song together. It focuses right back on the person of Christ. And to consider these biblical truths. And so as you pick up on it, even right where you are, if you want to sing along, you can. But I just want you to reflect upon this. Reflect upon the truths that are spoken in this. And then think through how we can better equip each other to the love and the good works that we've been called to in Christ. Father, as we think about these things, may you challenge us where we are. May you equip us for the work that lies ahead of us. God, we know that there are so many desperately in need of the gospel. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have taken a faulty perspective, even of what leadership should be. God, I pray for our leaders, and I pray that they would equip themselves with your word and with the tools needed to do the task before them faithfully in order to glorify your name above all else. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.